Welcome to another edition of Buddy Cash. Folks, I'm excited for this episode. Let me tell you, we've got a very, very talented man and a very talented woman here. I was talking to them before the show and they've, they made me go like this at least five times. I introduced to you Mr. Alan Sands and Miss Nis- Misty Knight. How are you guys doing today? Yay. We're doing well. How are you, Nick? Doing great. Doing great. Glad to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting us. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who don't know, these guys are performers. I believe you, sir, are a magician and a hypnotist. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. And you also, you as well as are, are a hypnotist? I am a hypnotist as well. Awesome. How long have you guys been performing? Oh, I've been doing it my whole life, literally my whole life. My father was a professional magician, so I began performing when I was three and a half on stage with him. And by the time I was 12, I was doing magic competitions and performing puppets for local charities. And then by the time I was 17 in high school, I was doing shows, uh, paying my own way to pay for my own car by doing children's birthday parties and holiday shows for corporate events, uh, you know, my senior year of high school. And then Misty and I teamed up and we've been working together for about four years. And, but she did house parties before that. And does that answer the question? (laughs) Most definitely. Do you guys have any funny memories of performing together? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one of our one of our last shows <laughs> was quite uh alan embarrassed himself he doesn't usually so we have a routine in the show that we ask them to think of their spirit animal and in native american culture and in other cultures the spirit animal is something where you draw your power from that animal you relate to that animal and so we ask them to visualize that, and then we ask them to tell us what it is, and then we ask them to show us their animal. So we All have right. a so, show. so, you know, they come up with very standard animals, very usually, you know, I'm a bear, I'm a lion. I'm a sloth. Yeah. That's pretty <clears throat> um, I had one chicken McNugget once. But, uh, <laughs> and I always say, you know, show, show us your bear, show us your tiger, show us your house cat. Show us your doggy. And one of them said, I'm a beaver. And I yelled, show us your beaver. And that was kind of embarrassing for me because I, you know, we he do a clean show usually. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. He left the stage. It was like, he was red. He was just like, I, I understand the audience was also an AA group. So oh. they more than understood what I was saying at that moment. And it was all yeah. adults. It was fine. It was a good laugh moment. <laughs> Uh, the other one, the other one's coconuts. Yeah, well, we do a routine where you know it's a Hawaiian routine, and we ask them, you know, show us the full moon, show us the sunrise, the sunset, show us your coconuts, and we had somebody with a with a tube top that decided to show us her, her coconuts. large, well endowed, you know, what Mother Nature gifted her. Yes, mm-hmm. so, Very and that was in front of a family show. Actually, that was at a county fair. So oh. I had to beat that out on the video when I posted it on Vimeo. Oh. Yes. I've mastered the art of making little black stripes. Yes. And I also, you know, was doing a town. Actually, the one show we're doing is Brodus, Montana. And oh. that is where it happened. <clears throat> I was doing a high school grad night. And uh, I told them to show us the full moon in that same routine. And the Baptist minister's son decided to drop his pants for the audience. And they usually don't drop their pants. They'll usually just turn around and shake their booty at the audience, which is what I'm encouraging. Mm-hmm. But uh, people are more literal. Yeah, some people decide to push it a little further. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's all about the terminology, it sounds like. <laughs> it is. It's how your mind translates it at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, you guys, as I mentioned before, work in magic and work in hypnosis. How long did it take you to perfect these arts? You know, anything that you apply yourself to, you're going to master. Mm-hmm. So if you decide you're going to be an auto mechanic, 
you know, you start with small projects and you work your way up to the larger projects of replacing transmissions and engines. If you're going to be a bodywork person, you, you know, start with a little bit of putty and then next thing you know, you're replacing entire, you know, straightening frames. <clears throat> Just like hypnosis or magic, you know, you begin by reading some children's books or some easier routines. You don't just jump in there and try and learn the most difficult things at the very beginning, although you can. And of course, youth is in your favor if you're young and you decide to, you know, attack a skill set. You have more time. And um, I think people are at the peak of their learning, their ability to absorb right around their college years. So, you know, kids that are in their college, high school, college years, if they pick up a deck of cards and decide they're going to do card manipulation, they're going to carry with them those skills for the rest of their life. I played with coins a little bit when I was very young because my father showed me some coin moves. And those are the foundation to almost everything I do now, as well as he taught me some ropes and he taught me silks and taught me other foundations. And then there's those people that continue learning their entire life, whatever, you know, because that's what they eat, drink, and breathe, and they're constantly reading magic books voraciously and practicing everything and anything. And so how long does it take? Five years. One number? <laughs> Five years. <laughs> Five years to master anything and become, you know, someone who is really good at something. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Five long, hard years of work finally paid off, you know? Five short years. Five wow. short years. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's the time flies when you're having fun factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned your father and all this, how you learned a lot from him. Do you guys have any other mentors that you've studied under or any role models that you, like, um, look your careers after? Of course, we can both name names of people that we've studied with or books that we've read or people that we followed at conventions and such. Um, Orma McGill is the <clears throat> dean of stage hypnosis, and he's written the most definitive books on stage hypnosis. Uh, he published one in 1947, the second one in 1979, and then he wrote the Bible, which is a big, thick book. The encyclopedia. Yeah, it's the new encyclopedia of stage hypnosis. And it's one of two books that I sell on my website because I believe in it. And then the second person that was a major influence in my life, other than my father, because my father also did hypnosis, was Terry Stokes. Because when I was doing magic at county fairs, he was on the same stages as me doing stage hypnosis. And Terry, to me, is one of the best performers out there. And he also published a book that I'm now selling on my website uh stage hypnosis my way and he talks about his methods and you know i just find his book brilliant as well as do most of the professional stage hypnotists that go ahead and read it they also compliment it highly so mm. sounds yeah. like you do a lot of reading in your spare time no, I don't read much at all of the news on the internet. Terry's <laughs> book is about this thick, so you can... Yeah, Terry's book is only 200 it. pages. Yeah. It's an easy read, large font, lots of spelling errors. Yes. And, and then, you know, Orman's book is more of a research book. You would pick it up and open to any chapter and read that chapter and absorb what it has to share with you and then move on, you know, to... You know, you can also outline an entire show from... Orman's book. There's multiple parts to doing a show from the time you walk on stage to when you invite people up on stage to giving them instruction to doing routines to waking them and troubleshooting if somebody has an unusual response to something, uh, you know, how to deal with that at the moment. And, you know, you can get all of that from Orman's book. Whereas Terry's book is a little more direct on his style and techniques and lessons he learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. All about the experience. And then, you know, your influences are countless because she's been studying clinical hypnosis for 30 years. And, 
you know, so she's been attending conventions and meetups and, uh, you know, uh, what do you, well, meetups is what they're called, actually. They're called meetups. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and list some of the names of people that have influenced you and books you read. So, yeah, books I've read, gosh, I have such a library. Off the top of my head, I also studied with Orman McGill. He's unfortunately passed away now. I studied with Charlie Tebbets. And since we are going to Montana again, that reminds me that the people that I studied the most with were Jim and Mary Russell, and they actually live in Montana. They retired from hypnosis some 25 years ago. And when we went to Montana last summer, I actually got to meet up with them and have dinner, so that was very nice. And That's enough for now. Yeah, that's enough. I mean, <laughs> as far as books, if you're looking for stage, you got to go with the new encyclopedia of stage hypnosis by Orman McGill or the stage of Mrs. Miley by Terry Stokes. And Tebbit's book is the introductory book that it's every clinical. teacher yeah. can, you know, has you buy as your first book to read. Yeah. So, and that was a small one. That, that was also, was, yeah. you know, 150, 200 pages. Yeah. You could mm -hmm. order it on the internet. Yeah. So Charlie Tebbit's, he kind of pioneered a lot of the clinical practices that are out there. He, was Roy Hunter's mentor as well. So you can still find out Charlie's methods by studying with Roy Hunter. Of Conventions that I go to. So yeah, I mean, we know hundreds of hypnotists. So mm -hmm. we don't have time to know. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned it earlier. Some of those books help you with um like what to do with someone on stage or like if you get someone who messes up or someone who's like not that willing to, when you like call someone up to the audience, when you choose an audience member to help you with this, say it's hypnosis, say it's magic. Do you find it more that people are willing to participate or do you find people are more like, not me, not me, not me, please not me. Every show is different. Every <laughs> show is different with high schools and colleges. You can end up with, 50 people on stage uh, with a corporate event where everybody knows each other very, very close because they all worked in an auto dealership as mechanics and salesmen and, you know, administrators, and they know each other fairly well. It can be a little more difficult because with hypnosis, you're asking them to let out their child and release their inhibitions and do improv and play Simon Says with you. And if they know each other, you know, the, the metaphor I always give is when my daughter was four years old, I would play with her and I would do very crazy, silly things. I would be a human slide. I would put on a tutu and put on ballet music and dance around the living room with my four-year-old daughter because I was entertaining a four-year-old. I was letting out my child to entertain my child. But if other adults were in the room, I would act at least somewhat more conservative. So if you go to a county fair <clears throat> and you don't know anyone at that county fair, or you go to a comedy club and you don't know anyone in that comedy club, you're willing to let out your child and animate more. But if you're working with your family or you're performing in front of your coworkers who you're close with and have been working with for years, you're going to be a little less willing to let out that child in front of everybody. So every situation is different. The new guy that just showed up at the business, he will become the best volunteer because he's not intimidated by feeling like he knows everyone in that work environment. Uh, I, I have some insight on that too. So one of the things that's a little different about our show is that we don't pick people out of the audience. We don't just go, you, come here. Well, once in a while. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> well, no, once in a while I see somebody out there that I'm like, no, no, you, you need to come here. Um, generally, we just say whoever wants to participate. And so it is more about choice. And at the high school, sometimes, you know, like you said, we get 50 people, we're like, we haven't asked for volunteers yet. Please go sit down. We're not. We're not ready to start. Uh -huh. 
Right. They walk into the room because they've been in a different room and there's 12 chairs up there and they fill those 12 chairs immediately, you know, before we've even started put on music. (laughs) Haven't even had a chance to let everybody into the room. So, yeah. Now with the magic shows, he does do that. Don't know, no, 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 no. And he just says, they're the one. Force them up, grab them by the wrist, swing it around in the air. Oh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. So, <clears throat> and then you drag them on stage at that point. Voluntold. Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, everyone's staring at you anyway. Come, stand on stage with me. Now, in those situations, when you do pick a volunteer, do you find it more the better ones? Like, I know you said it varies, but do you find it more like the better ones are the ones who are shy at first, like, don't pick me, or? The ones that actually like are, oh, I'll do it. Rules. There's no rules. Mm-hmm. You know, every rule can be broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I always ask this to people that have, uh, that do like traveling or do like performing, things like that, like comedians or, you know, uh, jugglers, anything like that, who come on this show. How has COVID impacted your your performances? Like how, like, how they impacted the shows or, it sounds like you do a lot of traveling. It's kind of like asking a horse how gelding has affected him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we haven't traveled since March. And that's really put the yeah. cuts on our shows. On March 10th, we flew to Canada. We had a show in Banff scheduled for the 13th, 12th. for the 12th. We got there on the 10th, went to a hotel, Played tourist on the 11th. On the 12th, we played tourist a little bit earlier in the day. Went to our hotel room to get ready and got a phone call. Your show's been canceled because there's over 250 people at the convention. And the province decided to shut down all events with over 250 people as of March 12th. They paid us and we went home. Uh, I also flew to North Dakota and I did one more show on the 13th of March, and we have not done a show since then. Uh, We are on our way to Montana in 10 days. We have a festival, it's a fair, uh, for two days. And we're, you know, still willing to pull the plug if we have to. Um, But at the same time, we're looking forward to performing. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a very small town in Montana with 500 people. And, and their county hasn't had one case yet, so. Ooh. Yeah, yeah but we're the infection coming in. Well, we're not, but we could If we be. were infected. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> though, we live in a house with two people that have been tested multiple times. Mm-hmm. One of them is in the uh, medical field. Uh, he's a researcher for a large pharmaceutical company here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he's been tested recently. This Every week. two weeks. <clears throat> and then my sister, who's 70 years old, uh, and has ailments that make her more yeah. uh, vulnerable to severe <laughs> circumstances and complications. She's been tested a number of times. So as long as you're within a circle of people that you know you're exposed to all the time, as long as one of you comes up negative, you know that the whole group is negative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you've been paying attention to Fauci, he said that you can even test in groups of 10. And as long as n- the entire group in that test group um, comes up negative, you know that the whole group is negative. So, you know, if kids go back to school or if you work with people, they can do smaller, they can do larger groups. Everyone doesn't have to be tested individually. Anyway, too much about COVID. Um, at this point, we have the Trump virus has pretty much ground everything to a halt. Mm-hmm. But we do have something going on. We have previous videos of our shows that are available for people to purchase. Yay, I'm Vimeo. <laughs> hey, I'll have to look into those. Now, moving forward, do you guys think like you're going to make some adjustments because of the virus, like to your shows? Like when you do your show, coming up here they're going to be like the social distancing rules or like even masks if you're allowed or yeah we're going to let our volunteers wear masks we're going to wear shields we order (laughs) shields on amazon 
And have hand sanitizer. <clears throat> we can't use a mask because it's difficult to talk with a mask on and be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll pass out hand sanitizer to everybody on stage. We'll space the chairs so that people aren't necessarily leaning against each other, although it's very funny when somebody, you know, <laughs> out, especially if their face lands in the person's lap. Oh, people laugh. Funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we'll be more conservative. We'll be more gentle. Um, we will also ask our volunteers to respect each other a little more. And believe it or not, when you give somebody instruction when they're conscious, even when they go into their hypnotic state, they remember what you shared with them. So, for example, in England, it's a law that you have to point out where the edge of the stage is so that nobody will fall off the edge of the stage. And we now do that as a habit because we work in England every year and <clears throat> we've learned that, you know, to abide by their laws, we now point out there's the edge of the stage by us telling you it's there, you won't fall off the edge of the stage. And we can say, you know, you're going to respect the people sitting next to you. You're not going to fall all over them. You're going to give them their bubble let them remain in their space and you'll remain in your space respectfully and move on. Won't be quite as funny, but that's okay. We'll, we'll be safer. Yeah, we'll be safer. We'll get through the COVID pandemic. That was my sore toe. Oh, sorry. I had a sheet of plywood dropped on my foot and she just squeezed my toe. I rubbed his feet because <laughs> he's sitting here and... I grabbed his toe. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> it dropped plywood on his toe a couple of days anyway, ago. Um, anyway, I lost focus there. Yeah. Right. How about this? How about this question? Um, earlier, I was talking to you guys, and you, so speaking of medicine, you said there are some medical benefits to hypnosis. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, that's all me. So <laughs> I haven't hypnotized him for his toe because he hasn't asked me to. But hypnosis is great for pain control. So one of the things that I do for myself, for my, for my clients when I used to have a clinical practice and even for my children was dental hypnosis. So I don't actually use any Novocaine or anesthetic at the dentist. And my, my kids didn't either. I didn't want with clients to the dentist. The other ways that uh, pain relief for hypnosis, for Hypnosis is used for pain relief is during childbirth. It's pretty common. There's a program out called Hypno Babies. It's available to a lot of people. Some of the other interesting things that I've done medically with hypnosis, I can't really, I'm not a doctor, so not medically, but I've helped people. My son broke his hand. I helped him to heal the bones faster. Uh, my other son was in an accident and he was able to have the surgery and then not take any painkillers after he was out of the hospital. Normally they send you home with quite a bucket full of painkillers, so he didn't take any after that. There's just so many things. Yeah, hypnosis is used for a wide variety of anything that's psychosomatic. So you can lessen also the psychosomatic effects if there's even real effects taking place. So the example I always give is somebody has MS. Their body is sick. They have a disease. But other parts of their body will begin to sympathize with the parts of their body that are actually sick. So they may be in pain or they may be losing motion in the left side of their body, but they also begin to lose motion and feel pain or discomfort in their right side of their body. But it's completely psychosomatic. Hypnosis can help you regain and eliminate that pain um, or discomfort as um, in overcoming it. Uh, so hypnosis can help you quit smoking, which is an addiction. Uh, it doesn't hurt to have other things involved when dealing with addictions. Uh, so, for example, most hypnotherapists will not deal with an alcoholic or a drug addict unless they are in a program to help them recover from alcoholism. And it can be AA. They can have a sponsor at AA. And as long as they continue going to their AA meetings, 
hypnosis will also help them stay focused to recover from alcohol or from any other drug as long as they're in another recovery program. <clears throat> you can help people with weight reduction. In some states, it's not legal to help somebody with weight reduction unless you have a doctor overseeing it because that is a medical related something and there can be reasons why the person has a weight problem and the doctor needs to be able to check those things and be keeping an eye on it also to make sure that other things don't happen uh so even in states where it is legal it's advisable to make yeah, sure so. to get a referral or to have them get an okay note from a physician before you help them um irritable bowel syndrome can be very psychosomatic uh, you know, and there's more complicated things going on. Uh, so the list is, you know, pretty endless yeah. of psychosomatic reasons. You can help somebody find something that they lost, perhaps. Not always successful. I, I have a really cool story, actually. I had a client years ago. She had had an affair when she was young with a young man that joined the Navy and he went off on his tour and after he had left, she found out she was pregnant and her family did not approve of all this. She lost track of him. She had no way to contact him when he came back. She had no idea where he was. So 40 years later, she wanted to be able to give her son that information who his father was. And she did speak with someone in the Navy and they said, well, if you can tell us what ship he was on, we will contact him for you because this is his family. That's his son. And she could not remember the name of the ship. It had been 40 years. She had seen it though. She was there on the dock when he left. So she flew actually, my office was in San Diego and she flew from Washington to San Diego to come and see me. I worked with her and she was able to recall the name of the ship. She was able to get in contact with the CEO. They did get in contact with her former beau. And funny story is that he lived about 30 miles away from where she was currently living. And he was able to meet his son that he didn't even know existed. So it was a, it was a good, good outcome. Wow. So hypnosis not only is just used for entertainment, but it can help with a bunch of things like memory loss and addictions as you said that's i never knew that i knew about like the smoking hypnosis and everything but i never knew it could go like that deep like could to get into your memory and help you you know recall things so i'll, I'll say it, i'm a forgetful person at times you know <laughs> the amount of times you they're just one of the little things but like the big things like the amount of times you walk where did i put that one thing or where did i do yeah. that to even even just the bigger things like i met someone Years ago, I know their first name, know what they look like. I, I can remember their last name. I'll be able to know who they are, you know. Right. I can find them on Facebook now. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, yeah, it can help with um, students studying. So, can definitely help with recall. So, I wish yeah. I knew you two years ago. <laughs> uh, so, what else? What other hobbies do you guys have outside of performing? Uh, I make sawdust. <laughs> I build cabinets. And you that's, built this one. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You know, but it's funny how many cabinets one can actually use and build and take advantage of, whether they're nightstands or stereo cabinets or bookcases. Um, those are all cabinets. And right now I'm building cabinets for inside of our van. We have one of those very tall, very high vans, eight and a half foot tall. So I'm mounting cabinets inside there up on the wall so that we can store things in the cabinets rather than them wandering around the van in tubs and stacking tubs. And But we spend a lot of time in the van when we travel. So, you know, it's nice to have clothes or yeah. <laughs> miscellaneous other things that we need access to all the time. Mm -hmm. It is nice to have clothes on the road, you know? Yes. <laughs> and uh, Lisa does a lot of hobbies i mean she's you know she crafts and we'll leave it at that she does crafting very crafty where she collects things to do crafting with and then 
She accumulates things. She, yeah. <laughs> like a crow. It's shiny, pretty. <laughs> and, like <laughs> and one of the things that has really been coming out during this is that I cook. I cook for them all the time. Oh, does she cook? She's a great cook. <laughs> she can dirty more dishes in an hour and <laughs> a family of 12, you know? <laughs> Uh, hey, they, they, she, she's a very artistic cook. It's, uh, <laughs> food's all over the kitchen, stuck to the walls. <laughs> Has she ever cooked for you? For me? Yeah, she cooks every night for us. Oh, nice. Right. And she's nice. going to be leaving us, it looks like, for like a week or so. More. Two you might weeks. decide to go to Vegas for that convention. Yeah. <clears throat> so you'll leave on the 8th and stay through the convention so that's a good two weeks mm -hmm. anyway so we have to learn how to cook <laughs> without her either that or two weeks of fast food for you no no fast food <laughs> they, fast food sounds good to me there <laughs> is the refrigerator is full the freezer is full <laughs> there's plenty of food here they'll Burger, just burgers on the barbecue every they'll night. just eat it over the kitchen sink that's the that's the difference is though i make yep. the meal he sits down and eats it with a knife and a fork, if he makes it, he eats it over the sink so he doesn't dirty a dish. The sink is right next to the stove in the refrigerator. <laughs> Why would anyone go any further? You stand up, it's better for your digestion. You can wash your hands in the sink and not, you know, dirty towels. And There's no excuse not to eat over the sink. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I like that philosophy a lot. I'll have to remember that when my mom go somewhere and leaves me, you know, dinner's on your own tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, it's convenient. It's like a little bit of counter space to open up the container. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you said it comes with all the benefits. You can wash the container right there. You, have yeah. you can just, you can wash your hands afterwards and beforehand. And if you need to wash your fork to double dip, you can wash the fork and not double dip. You know, <laughs> I like this guy. All righty. Now I'm going to ask you two questions that I always ask all what I call my buddies on this show. The first is if you guys could choose any charity of your choice to have our viewers donate to, what would it be? Definitely me. Absolutely. Send me money. I will give you my address and phone number. And the more money you send me, the more money I have. That's our motto. No. Um, I'm a big supporter of helping individuals not organizations so mm -hmm. when somebody posts a gofundme on facebook and i know that person nine times out of ten i will find something to give to them mm -hmm. uh if i know them really well i have discovered that one percent of my month's income is very easy for me to do without and it can be a much larger amount than I would have thought of giving. So if I have a really good month, okay, and I make $10,000, I will send them $100. And if I have a lesser month where I make $3,000 and I send them $30, it's more than the 25 I might have thought of giving. But it's still 1% of my income for the month. Uh, and... I will also try not to do it through the GoFundMe because they make a commission. So if I know them well enough, I will mail it directly to them. I'll ask for their address directly. And if I start a GoFundMe, I'll even put their um, home address into the GoFundMe letter uh, to help somebody out that's in need of help. And they actually allow you to do that. And I'll you know, say, please send the money directly to them at this address, write a check, mail it to them, and GoFundMe won't take a percentage of that. Or you can donate here through GoFundMe if you don't have a checking account or you choose to write it off a little bit easier because it's now recorded in your PayPal or whatever. Uh, so I'm not going to list a specific organization. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, I support. I, I totally agree with organizations that are bigger. So, for instance, Lisa and I, every Friday, we help a Catholic church and a bunch of nuns that have created an organization where they go and we pick up food 
at a very large um, produce distributor where there's like, I'll say 30, 40, 50 produce companies and the big trucks come in and collect their produce to deliver to the stores and everything. Uh, I go there with our large van and I collect the food that's going to be going bad that they can no longer sell because it has brown spots on it or there might be some moldy fruit inside the case and we'll throw out the moldy fruit and we'll distribute that food later on in the day to the less fortunate. And it's a bigger organization and it's a Catholic church and we, you know, but I'm not giving them money. I'm giving my charity of time that I can give whenever I can. Uh, so I'm a big believer in that. But, you know, the bigger organizations, they're positive. And if that's how you want to give because you have the money to do it, by all means do. I just find that personally, wait till someone posts on GoFundMe that they need help, medical help, uh, college help. Um, they're relocating and they don't have the money to move or they're being evicted because they don't have their rent money. Help however you can somebody you know and give them a little bit more than you normally would. That 1% factor has been a wonderful magic number for me. And uh, there's been times when I made 20000 in a month and I've given 200 or $250 to somebody that I felt needed it. So that's my recommendation on donating. So, or send it to me and I'll distribute it to my father's needy son. Good charity. <laughs> Great charity. So awesome. Now, I always ask this question to all my buddies. This is like my final question, but I'm going to ask you for one more thing after this. What is your advice to anyone out there listening that wants to be a performer? Uh, get a college degree first. Yeah. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but also if you get a degree in business, you're going to know how to run your business because show business is two words. And you mm -hmm. need to be able to market yourself or oversee the marketing done uh, by the organization that is marketing you, uh, as well as if you get a degree in almost anything and you get a, you know, your BA or your master's, <clears throat> when you get older and you discover, or if something happens and you like can't COVID. continue performing, you have that degree to fall back on. And... Uh, you know, there's been many times, I've been very active in the fair industry, county, state, and agricultural affairs for 35 years. And there have been many, many opportunities where I might have been able to go work as part of the management at a fair, whether I was the entertainment director or the marketing director or even the fair manager or the assistant manager. But usually in the requirements they want you to have a four-year degree. And I only got a two-year degree in broadcasting because I'm an entertainer and I wanted to know how to work buttons, knobs, and switches whenever I came across a soundboard or a video you know, projector or anything of that nature. And it has helped me immensely having that two-year degree in my own business. But now as I approach the age of 60 and I think about when I'm going to retire, had I had a job for 10 years and had any type of a pension that was included in that job, it would have been nice. So get a degree first and foremost, however you have to do it. Then there's three ways of learning anything. You read books, you find a mentor, and you get out there and you do it. You can also watch videos, but I really encourage people to read books and find mentors to imitate and copy and learn from, you will learn so much quicker. And that's why I encourage people to go to school and get a college degree is that you're learning from a teacher something and you'll come out of there knowing how to finish things also. By finishing getting that degree, you then know how to finish whatever you attempt to do. So does that help answer the question? Definitely. How would you recommend people approach? Being an entertainer? Yeah. <laughs> Hook up with me. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, that's it. Just just mm-hmm. find yourself one. Find somebody that's already doing it and just like attach yourself at the hip. And yeah. the more successful they are, the, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I also believe that, yes, start by reading up on something or if you don't like to read, you can go on YouTube and find all kinds of things nowadays. But don't just watch a YouTube video and then think you can get up on stage and do it. Do find a live mentor. That doesn't have to be one-on-one. You can take a class. You can find one-on-one, but you can take a class with other people. There's a lot of things on Zoom right now. So there are things that are available to people that they did not have access to because they didn't want to come to California to take classes at the Hypnosis Institute because they live in Pennsylvania. But now you can find almost everything on Zoom. So you can find a class. But the next step after that is get on stage. Whether it's in front of your friends, your family, it doesn't matter, and keep going. That's why every year we run, except for this year, because this year never was. This is the year that never was. We run a boot camp for up-and-coming stage hypnotists or people that want to polish their act, and we get them on stage. We get on stage every single day for a week. And the change in their performance from day one to day five is astronomical. There's nothing like doing it. So if you want to be an entertainer, you got to do it. We also send them books before the boot camp. We send them, you know, outlines of what they need to be studying, at least on video so that they become aware of how to structure a show. And then we are critiquing them, which means that we're mentoring them. We're coaching them. We're um, directing them while they're doing the boot camp. So again, all of those things I just mentioned <laughs> are incorporated into the boot camp training. There's one more thing we didn't mention also, and that is conventions, clubs, and meetups. So you can find meetup groups for hypnosis. You can find magic clubs regionally for magic to learn magic and hang out with other magicians. Uh, you can also join Facebook groups and ask questions and get some direction that way as well. Uh, my daughter wanted to learn how to do a floating table. And I got on Facebook and I asked who could help her regionally where she was living at the time in L.A. And three people responded and said, yeah, sure, I'll be happy to coach her. She has to come to my house with a table and I will show her how I do my magic, you know, my floating table. Uh, so, you know, there's a myriad of ways get out there and apply yourself. And, and then also I mentioned conventions. There are national conventions. There are regional conventions. There are small conventions and big conventions. Uh, she'll be going to a hypnosis convention in Las Vegas that is not called off. And it's going to be August 15th, 16, 17, roughly. 14, 15, 16. Okay. 14, 15, 16 in Las Vegas at the Orleans Hotel. Uh, it's real reasonably priced as well. Hotel rooms are like $35. Um, the convention itself is about $350. You then have to get there. So figure a plane flight is $350. Right now you can actually get decent plane flights between places like Vegas because it's a still a major hub. And if you go to a minor hub, it becomes a little more expensive sometimes. But attend conventions and then find out what you're interested in within that community. So if you go to a magic convention, you have close-up magic with cards and coins where you're on a table in front of people or you know standing in front of them in a small cluster of about 10, no more than 20 people. That's close-up. Then you have parlor magic, which is what you would see at a birthday party where somebody stands up in front of the room or at a comedy club where somebody stands up on a small stage in front of the room with an audience, I say up to 600, although normally the audiences are much smaller, 250, 300. And then you have large illusions. If you want to produce cats and have women and men jumping out of boxes and you know those are large illusions and you have to decide which mode you want to become interested in for magic. Then with hypnosis, you have clinical hypnosis, helping people lose weight and quit smoking and get over phobias and pain reduction. You have criminology and hypnosis. So you can, be, 
forensics. Like so you could be a police officer and take education on how to question people under hypnosis so that you're not misleading them. And they, the, the human mind is, has an amazing imagination and it's easily influenced. So you have to learn how to ask questions in criminology and forensics where you're not leading them to respond the way you want them to respond. So a classic example is back in the 80s, there were many men that were accused of sexually taking advantage of their daughters because the hypnotherapist would ask them questions, did your daddy ever touch you inappropriately? And then they begin to have flashbacks, the more questions that are asked, of when they were an infant being changed on the changing table and being cleaned by their father. And the imagination would then distort it. So there's criminology, there's self-hypnosis and meditation, and then there's stage hypnosis. And what other areas are there? Are those the four main? I would say those are good enough for now. Yeah. But finding which one you're most interested in. And then in, in clinical hypnosis, there's a myriad of different ways you can go. There are some people that only, there are some women that only deal with women and women's issues. There are other people that specialize in helping people quit smoking. And that is their entire career. And they make a very good living helping people quit smoking. Or they make a very good living selling seminars on how to quit smoking to <laughs> hypnotherapists. <Yes. laughs> and, <laughs> and then there's that. You could, you could become a trainer and you could teach other people how to do whatever type of hypnosis that you do. Sure. Hopefully after you've actually mastered like, done the art. Yes. hypnosis on actual people. Because in all reality, <laughs> magic is easy to learn. Hypnosis mm -hmm. is easy to learn the very basics. And people believe that they have mastered it much earlier than they truly have. They haven't gotten over that five-year hump that we were talking about earlier. You invest five years into anything, and you become pretty proficient at it. But it's amazing how many people don't put in the five years and then think that they're a master. And, yeah. you know, or they think they can train. They think they can teach. And, yeah, they can teach what they know, but they don't know much at that point. All they know is what someone else has already taught them and what little bit of experience they've had. It's like it sounds like stand-up comedy where you go on stage, you go for one open mic and think, hey, I got some laughs. I can do this professionally, you know. I can do this now, yeah. Yeah, but you don't have 45 minutes of material. Exactly. You go to your next show and you just go, uh... Well, that was funny last time. They liked it last Uh-huh. That was my best joke that you guys laughed at last time, so... I got nothing. See you later. COVID jokes were funny in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, I got one more question for you guys. You think you'd be willing to do a little performing for us today on the show? I will do a magic trick. I'm going to leave that to him. So you're going to help me. He's going to do the rope trick. I didn't know I was being voluntold. Yes, we're going to get rid of our chairs. Give us a second to adjust. <laughs> I'm going to get you on full screen, too. Oh, great. Wonderful. <laughs> it's a rope trick. Sing and dance for them till I get We have up. to stand really far back for you to see us. So we have to stand in the hallway. Very good. Oh, Ta-da! Ta-da! Fine, camera adjusting. All right. So I'm going to do the trick that made my father famous. Move. A rope trick. It's called Sensational Rope. And uh, yeah, that's the name. Anyway, it starts off with, I would like to show you a rope trick. I call mm -hmm. it a rope trick. The reason I call it a rope trick is because I use a rope. <laughs> yeah, this is a rope. It has two ends, one on each. And to make this trick difficult, I will cut one end off. Now it has one end. That's over here. We'll cut this end off. Now it has no ends. All that's left is the middle. That's here between. We will take the middle. We will cut the middle. 
And now we have two ends and two. Oh, look. They're not equal. They're not equal. We'll have to stretch it, make them even. Yeah. Originally, I'll tell you what, we'll do this solo. <laughs> Originally, this rope was approximately this long, so we'll just start all over. <laughs> yeah, we'll tie the ends together. And before we use the scissors, this time we'll use a karate chop. And oops, tell you what, we're going to restore the rope this way. I changed routines in the middle. I'm suddenly doing rope sational instead of sensational rope. Anyway, you don't need to know that though. And originally this rope was this long. All right, we're gonna start all over one more time. We're gonna take this end and move it over here and you watch this end. I'll keep an eye on this one. You watch this end, I'll watch this one. And if I lose you guys at any point, we can start over one more time, tie the ends back together and use our scissors. And I've totally lost my place, but I'm sure you're entertained and would not know that if I didn't tell you. And now the ropes are not even. So we'll have to stretch them again. And tell you what, we're just gonna start all over one more time. I'm gonna show you some knots I tried to show to the Boy Scouts when I was younger. They didn't accept me or the knots. So, what was I? Ah, we'll get rid of this knot. <laughs> we'll just whee, get rid of this. Whee, and we'll put it back. And I forget where I am. I should have rehearsed once because I haven't done a show in three months or four, four months. Four months. <laughs> well, that's funny. Anyway, I'll show you all the knots I just made for you. And we're going to call it quits. And thank you for inviting us to join you on your whatever this is. Podcast. Buddy cast. Buddy cast. Buddy Yay. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Well, I certainly had a blast and learned a lot. I'm glad you guys, did you guys have fun today? We did. Awesome. We did. Glad to hear. Stick around for a little bit. We'll chat. But thank you so much for joining us on BuddyCast. To all my buddies out there, I always end the show with saying, go out and be someone's buddy. And we'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. Bye-bye. <laughs>